Super great to have you this morning, and um, I, you know, again, every time we get together on Sunday, uh, I pray the same sort of prayer that somehow or other you'll just encounter God's love, uh, that somehow or other today's coming together will be uh, significant, uplifting, helpful to you. So uh, let me just open with that. Jesus, I just pray for every person here today that you would speak to them. In one way or another, this service will be helpful uh, we love to see lives changed because you're so powerful and you do it. So we just give you this service. I just welcome your spirit to be here. In your name, Jesus. Amen. We're doing a series uh, where we're looking at uh, This Is Us, talking about what is it that defines us as a vineyard movement? What are the things that we do that we just like emphasize and that we really love? And why do we love it? And how's that relevant to you? And uh, I want to go back and do a little bit of church history uh, today. Uh, church history, like way, way, way back. I mean, 1980. I mean, I know like some of you weren't even born then. This is really like ancient church history, but it's relevant. Um, it's relevant because when the vineyard movement was just getting going, uh, John Wimber, who, was, who started the, the movement and really got it going, he took a trip out to my home country, to South Africa, in 1980. And uh, he then went back uh, three more times. Uh, by 1982, he felt like the Lord had wanted him to start the first vineyard church outside of USA. Now, in the USA currently, I think there's like 500 and something vineyards, and outside uh, the USA, I think there's something like 2,600. But the, the question that was, is interesting to me is this. What was it that was so captivating when you go to another country with another culture, with different emphasis to, say, the States? What is it that would be captivating for them? And, and how, did that, how did that come about? So um, the, there's a picture that I have of a guy called Costa Mitchell, uh, Costa Mitchell, uh, I wouldn't say he's a, a great friend of mine. I mean, I know him and we've spoken a, a bit, but I mean, I don't know him that well that I'd say he's a great friend of mine. Yeah, some of you met him at the National Conference in Columbus uh, a few years ago where he was one of the, the, the lead speakers. But uh, Costa was just recounting uh, how this all happened. So he had uh, planted a couple of churches in Johannesburg, the Pentecostal churches, and somehow he connected, a friend of his connected him with John, and uh, they just spoke, and, and uh, John, as they were talking, he said, you got something that I want to experience. So uh, John Wimber, in uh, classic John Wimber style, showed up with uh, a few followers. There would be a hundred uh, missionaries, there would be uh, teenagers and uh, people in the early t 20s from California, uh, like wearing Hawaiian T-shirts or shirts and flip-flops and uh, showing up in Johannesburg, South Africa, which is like 600, uh, you know, 400 miles from the sea, the ocean, uh, you know, just like, okay, your dress code doesn't fit this culture. So, like, how did they connect? And so Costa was uh, saying it was mind-blowing. He said, because everything that John was talking about, John was putting words into things that were in his heart. And so then with this 
sort of huge crowd of, of youngsters, they start worshiping. And worship in church is not an unusual thing, but intimate worship and the sense of connecting with God's love and talking to God through worship. Actually, I better stop right there because that's my topic for next week. So you don't want to miss next week. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the presence of God and the connection that we have through intimate worship. But anyway, as they demonstrating, and all these you know hippie kids are just like in love with God as, they, as they're worshiping, there was something that was super contagious. They just loved it. The next thing is they were looking at some of these traits, and uh, there was an expectation that God would move what we'd call in signs and wonders, meaning doing supernatural things. There was an expectation when people got together, God was going to do something supernatural, like people would be healed, or people would have words of knowledge given to them that would be a prophetic insight that would be super helpful and encouraging. They would help people that are stuck get unstuck, or people that are trying to make a decision have some wisdom. And there was an expectation that God was going to move. And not only was there an expectation, God did move. So that expectation was realized. And uh, then there was the sense of, okay, this is winsome, and people are coming to know the Lord. I, I mean, there was a sense that evangelism was happening in a whole different way to traditional evangelism. This wasn't somebody standing on the street corner, you know, just like pounding a Bible and saying, you need to know Jesus, you know, if you don't, you're going to go to hell, and if you do, man, it is a whole different way. It was like, I just want to invite my friends because God is real and God is doing things and it's super awesome. And then the most, the last thing that, that Costa said was so transformative to him, and this is what I want to talk about today, is this phrase which you'll hear throughout the vineyards, because I think John just coined this phrase, and it's everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play. And this is such a sort of unique and, and, uh, and wonderful idea that it's not just the priests. It's not just those that have been ordained. It's everyone. Everyone gets to play. And, and you know what? What we often has happened in the vineyard through worship songs or through preaching is phrases like everybody gets to play would really just be a, uh, a shorthand for a more well-known in outside of vineyard or in, in traditional churches terminology called the priesthood of believers. So, you know, if you go to a, a mainline church and you talk about the priesthood of believers, or if you go in seminary training, they're like, oh yeah, I get a priesthood of believers. So John would just take that terminology, priesthood of believers, and put it into practical terms, accessible terms, so everybody gets to play. So uh, I want to talk about this today. I, and I want to hopefully be able to communicate uh, personally where each one of you has a connection of, well, what does that mean to me? How do you get to play? What, what does that look like? How do we all get to play? And not only that, why is that so captivating? Why is that like super exciting? Like we actually want to get to play. Why is that uh, something that once you've experienced it, once you've experienced God working through you, impacting others, you'll want to do it again. It's captivating. And so uh, let, let's, let's talk about that today. So uh, I got three questions which I'm really trying to answer here. Uh, what does this mean? Everyone gets to play the priesthood of believers. 
and I want to dive into Scripture and just uh, work that through so we, we, we understand the basis of this, and it's rich, and it's deep. It, it's a great area of Scripture. What does this mean? Why is it so significant? And how do you get to play? How do you get to play? So uh, let's just uh, look at this from a, uh, a scriptural standpoint. Now, there is something fundamental that happened when Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, I mean, it changed the whole shape of history. But from a biblical standpoint, you got the Old Testament and you got the New Testament. New being it's new, meaning the old is old. It is now a new covenant. And the things that Jesus did on the cross were super significant. So when he, when, for instance, when Jesus died on the cross, we have this uh, from Matthew 27, 50. And Jesus shouts out and he releases his, his spirit to God just as he dies. And then it says, this is in Matthew 27, 51. And the bottom of the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4.14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what I believe. Now, this is the significance. Jesus has just done away with the temple. He's just done away with a tradition and a system which has been going on, you know, for a long time in Jewish history, where the, the Jewish people would have to come to the temple, and there would be a, a high priest, and the high priest wasn't just a, any old person, it wasn't somebody that just wanted to be, you know, have uh, name recognition, or a way that you could work your way up into the hierarchy, you had to be chosen, you had to be part of a lineage, you had, it was a, a, a certainly a position of honor, Honor. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, we're done with that system. The temple is now redundant. It is no longer. It is a New Testament. I mean, often Christians get so mixed up with Old Testament, New Testament, trying to hold on to things in the, in the old when they shouldn't, and then there's stuff in the old which they should hang on to and they don't. But in this case, it's, most people aren't confused. It's like, okay, we don't have a temple. We don't have to come to the temple once a year. For those of you that are Jewish, uh, and a number of you in the, in the church here today, or for those of you that got Jewish friends, you would know that recently last week it was Yom Kippur. It's the Jewish festival where uh, you repent. And once a year, in the temple, in the Old Testament, you'd come before the priest and uh, you'd offer sacrifices and your sins would be forgiven for that year. You, you, it was a holy day. And in Jewish custom today, it's still a holy day, holy week. Uh, but what Jesus is saying, we're done with that system. Now through me, you can have uh, your sins forgiven. You have access to the Father. Jesus, as we've just read in that Hebrew passage, he is the high priest. He's like taken over from what the high priest's job used to be. And he said, that's me. I am now the high priest. And Old Testament was really just pointing to Jesus as the high priest. And he's the mediator between us and God. And uh, we have this awesome thing. And physically, the temple, the, the curtain is ripped from top to bottom. The separation between the high priest's area and the rest of the people is now removed. We have access to Jesus. I mean, so you've got this supernatural happening in the temple at the same time that Jesus dies on the cross. Okay, that's the backdrop for this 
section which I want to read out of um, of 1 Peter. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you make your way to 1 Peter chapter 2? And as I said, in um, most churches, this would be a a section which would be the priesthood of believers. And uh, here in the vineyard, this would be where we get our mandate, biblical mandate, that everybody gets to play. Uh, So let me just pick this up in in chapter 2, beginning in the middle of uh, verse 4. Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Uh, So Jesus has now said, okay, we don't have a physical temple We have a living temple. He was rejected by the people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And then it says this in verse 5. Now, you really want to underline this in your Bible if you don't have it underlined. It says this. And you are the living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. You know, this is like something which is super deep. I mean, if you grab hold of what's just been said here, it's pretty profound. God is saying, it's you. You are a priest. You are doing what the Old Testament priest role was. You now have access to God. Uh, You now represent God to other people. God is doing something in you. You are considered by Jesus a living stone. In other words, no longer the temple, but the church. And the church isn't the building, it's you, the people. And the stones, sorry that Jesus calls you a stone, but you know, uh, but you're a stone. But God calls you a living stone, uh, saying there's life in you, and it's your role is really important. It's not just a building block in a temple or in a wall that does nothing. You are a living stone. God has breathed life into you, and it's a supernatural thing that's happened. He has given you the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me just read the rest of this, because we need to focus on two things. It's how great Jesus is and how significant Jesus is. That, that's fundamental. Because the power and the authority is Jesus. It's not you. But there's something else that's happened. God, God, the creator of this universe, the all-powerful, almighty God, has put part of himself in you. I mean, that's a whole new thing. It's an incredible thing. But let's just, let's just read this. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God, as the scripture said. I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So our trust is to be in Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. It's all about Jesus. The whole thing hangs together because of Jesus. He's our foundation. Our trust is built on Jesus. Verse 8, it says this, And he is the stone that makes people stumble, The rock that makes them fall. So, you know, when we're talking about Jesus to people, you don't want them to trip up on, you know, your customs or why you like vineyard or not vineyard. You want them to trip up if they're going to trip up on Jesus. I mean, if they reject Jesus, that's one thing. And Jesus is warning us, people will reject him. But you want that to be the basis that people reject Jesus, not because of our own, you know, foolishness. But... It's on Jesus. Now, in verse 9, it says this. 
But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. The priesthood of believers. This is the, the verbiage. You are a chosen people. God looks at you and says, you're not just an average Joe. You are a royal priest. I mean, God just has this elevated view of who you are. You're a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's just a, you know, when we, when we grasp what's going on here in the scripture, uh, we realize that there's something really, really big that's going on and something really, really significant that's going on. You know, I think what we need to grasp is uh, what has Jesus done? Because Jesus has done something uh, by dying on the cross, by giving us access to the Father, by allowing us to experience the love of the Father, by allowing us at any point in time, not waiting a year, not waiting until we get to church on Sunday, where we can pray and we can experience God. Uh, Jesus has done something wonderful. And He's equipped us with His Holy Spirit. He's given us His Spirit. He's put it inside of us. Uh, we are empowered, not because we're great, but because He's incredibly great and incredibly powerful. And somehow we have to remind ourselves, when we look at ourselves and say, you know, I'm hurting, I'm not good enough. I, I, no, it's God is saying, you are everything because God is everything. It's not like your limitations. It's His limitlessness that we need to focus on. And when we get our eyes off our own problems and we fix our eyes on Jesus... There's something which is hugely freeing and uplifting. Our burdens fall off. We, we say, God, you can do the impossible. We need a miracle. There's something we can't figure out in our own strength, but God, you can do it. Help me, God. And that's the connection, and that's where we need to focus our eyes and our attentions. Not on our problems, not on our sickness, but on God the healer, God the, the deliverer. When we do that, there's something hugely uplifting. We need to focus on what Jesus has done. We need to focus on what we've become. God has transformed us by giving us his, his spirit. He's transformed us. Life all of a sudden takes on a whole different meaning and a realization of what we are and who we are and what it's all about. Without Jesus, you just wake up in the morning, you go about doing your own thing, you invent your own desires, you do your own career, and, and you just go ahead and do that. But with Jesus, I mean, you're dealing with a God that's alive and living. He'll redirect you. He can bring resources your way. Uh, you know, when you hit a dead end, God can find a way out of it. You're not, it's not up to you to figure it out. You can rely on God to figure it out. But in doing all of this, God is saying, you are a living stone. You are a priest. And a priest doesn't just like go to the temple for himself. A priest didn't just go there just like, oh God, I want to connect with you and it's just about me. A priest was a mediator between God and other people. And the genius of what God has done, which we like totally minimize, is that each one of us has been given a gift by God. And when we come to church, it's kind of normal. I understand. I mean, I've been in the same position as well. You know, we go through the week, we're super tired, uh, super busy. Uh, you come to church on Sunday and it's like you just get in your pew and you're sitting in your chair. It's like, I just hope the preacher says something that'll be like, you know, helpful to me in some small way so I can be lifted up and leave here with a little bit of gas for the rest of the week. And if that happens, you're like, great. 
I mean, that's just like such a low view, you know, of what life should be like. What God is saying to you is saying, hey, listen, you're a priest. You're a royal priest. How about you come to church on a Sunday having already prayed and saying, God, who can I minister to today? Who do you want me to love on? God, who, who needs to know a little bit of your love? Who can I pray for? Who can I encourage? God, point me in the direction of somebody that needs the gifting that you've given me. Or uh, maybe you're prophetic and you've prayed. Or you join our, our, our time in the morning where you know, our team prays and prophetic people. Can, and you're asking God, give me a picture. Like, God, what are you saying? And then you, there's a desire in you to want to do that and fulfill that and be used by God in that. And when you do do that, now church becomes super fun. Because you know what? When you're used by God, it's great. And God is saying every single one of us needs to be used by God. God wants to use us. He wants to use you. He's put the Holy Spirit in you. But the other thing that's so interesting about this is we all totally, totally different. God has given each one of you a gift. And each one of you has a different gift. And it's when we put all those gifts together that church starts happening. I mean, that's the way church becomes super exciting. Now, let's just unpack this a little bit. If we look at this verse, it says here in verse 9, I'm just reading again, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. And he's, God is saying he's, he's demonstrated something. He's taken you out of darkness and put you into light. You know, sometimes we... Make Christianity so difficult. It's, it's like we expect, we expect ourselves to be perfect. It's like when we go to the supermarket and we look through the fruit and, you know, it's like if this got a tiny little blemish, it's like, eh, I don't want that thing. It's got to be perfect. But, you know, most of you that have traveled as missionaries or around, you'll go to other countries and the fruit is like pretty lousy looking on the outside. It's full of blemishes and stuff. And you're looking, it's like, eh, I don't know about this. And then you eat it and it's like, oh my gosh, I never knew a banana could actually taste like a banana. Or, you know, I mean, about the only fruit that we get around here that's like for sure great is an apple because we grow them right here. You know, but everything else, I mean, you get something, it's like a peach and the thing is like, is this a baseball or is this a peach? I mean, it looks beautiful. It's totally unblemished. And I've got to leave it out there for like a week. And my gosh, if you miss not even a day, just those four hours before the thing goes rotten, it's like, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you got a, a tree and you pick the thing off the, and it's like full of like blemishes, maybe a worm in there, just throw it out and it's running down. He's like, oh, this is a real peach. Now I'm eating peach. You know, it's great. I mean, Anyway, uh, let me move on. Uh, <laughs> why is this so significant? Why is this so significant? Because God is saying, look, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect human beings. We can be blemished human beings, but God wants to use us. And sometimes he uses us with our blemishes, with our imperfections. And he uses that very thing to be like the thing that connects to somebody else, how somebody else can relate to a perfect God because he's using our brokenness. But God wants to use us. And in this verse, again, it says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. There's something where we all can be used by God, and that is showing others the goodness of God. You know, inviting your friends, your family to church is part of being, is part of that. You're saying, I enjoy church. I connect with God. Can you just come and experience it and just taste and see? It's the Proverb 34. Praise to taste and see if God is good. I mean, that's your whole 
mandate. It's not to try and convince somebody and argue with somebody. You bring them into church. You invite them into church. You say, can you taste and see that God is good? And if they connect with God, you can start putting language to that. If they don't, then I'm sorry, but that's what Jesus said. Some people are going to be tripped up because of Jesus. But that doesn't mean to say you don't draw others in. And when you do, there's something super rewarding to you because now you start getting used by Jesus. You know, in the Great Commission, the, the phraseology is there, go into all the world and make disciples. And the idea there is as we go, whatever we're doing in the world is your marketplace. We just make disciples. The way we do that is we invite them. We invite your friends. You can't do the whole shebang in your workplace. It's hard enough to even talk about Jesus in your workplace. But you can invite somebody to church and let the rest of the package unfold when you get here. You know, Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 is just a powerful uh, section of Scripture because God is saying we're each gifted in some way or another. He said some are called to be apostles, you know, pretty lofty. Some are called to be prophets, pretty lofty, you know, evangelists, pretty lofty, teachers, uh, pastors. You know, in 1 Corinthians, you see there's all but the, the other gifts as well. And God wants to use each one of us in each one of those capacities in some way, shape, or form. But the point is this. In verse 12, it's to build up the body of Christ. Meaning, when you use the gift that God's given you, you will be built up. And the body will be built up. Now, in, in many, uh, the understanding of the gifts and doing the class that uh, Sarah was pitching that Bernadette's going to be doing soon, uh, where you try and discover your spiritual gifts. For many, it's such a lame process because really what they're saying is, well, you know, what am I good at? Okay, I, you know, I'm good at doing spreadsheets, so God must want me to be, uh, you know, like an accountant. Uh, maybe I can do some bookkeeping for the church. Or, you know, I'm very handy with my hands, so maybe God wants me to just be a servant in the church. Uh, you know, or, you know... Look, that is part of it. What are your natural giftings? But most people just stop there. I mean, no, there's a whole supernatural area that God wants to uh, develop in you. And he's saying it's both and. It's not just either or. And it's the supernatural part that's super powerful. I mean, if you're desiring to speak in tongues, if you're desiring to uh, hear the prophetic, hear God's voice, and to speak into others or to encourage others using that gifting, it opens them up in a way that they could have never known. I mean, if, if you go up to somebody and you say, are you battling with, uh, you know, this sort of issue? Or, you know, God feels like he, 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 he wants you to depend on him. And that's the issue the person's battling with. They'll say, well, how did you know? How did you know that about me? And you say, well, I just felt that's what God was saying. Super encouraging. I mean, it's, it's, that's the sort of thing God wants us to do. He wants us to develop uh, these gifts. Why is it significant? Because it's significant for you and it's significant for the church. And when we do the things that God is asking us to do, it's life giving to you and to the church. If you disconnect, it's just like you just go through the routine and it just becomes dry. Life will never be dry. Your day will never be dry. If you wake up and you say, God, who can I love today? God, put somebody in my heart Give me a picture, uh, whether it be a total stranger or a close friend. But God, how can I love somebody today? I guarantee you God will answer that prayer. 
And I guarantee you, as you try and reach out to somebody in love, they'll be greatly blessed by it, and you'll be blessed too. So how do we get to do this? How do, how do we get to, uh, to play? How do we, when we say everybody gets to play, how do we do that? Well, that's one way. You ask God, who can I love on? Uh, you, but you say, God, what is my gift and how can I use it? And then you use it. You know, the, this idea of just inviting people to church, inviting a friend, it's one of the biggest blessings uh, that we have because when we see our friends and our family come to know Christ and they get changed, we get changed. Uh, so we can all play in that sense. So in the one sense, the two big roads that are available to us is this one of evangelism, just inviting people. And the other one is this whole area of praying for people and seeing God do stuff in their lives. Uh, one of the things that we just emphasize in the vineyard over and over and over again is pray for people. And when you pray for them, don't just say, okay, I'll pray for you, see you, bye, and then you either hang up the phone or you walk away and you don't do anything about it. We, we encourage people to say right there, pray right there. If you're on the phone, pray for them on the phone. If you're sitting in person, pray for them in person. Like, what is it? Okay, let's pray right now. Jesus, we just ask you to help us with this problem right now. And, you know, pray for them right away. And expect that God is going to do something. Like, God, you know, what have you done? What, what, are, what is it that you're doing? Let me just finish up this way. Sometimes just, you know, people's own story says a whole lot more than even preaching. Uh, I'm just taking a, a risk here. Let me uh, throw this out if somebody can get their thoughts together in like a nanosecond. Has somebody here got a testimony of this? This is what I'm asking. Can you say and share this like succinctly? You were physically healed because somebody prayed for you and you were healed like as they prayed for you. Does anybody have a testimony like that that they want to just share? All right, well, one reluctant Jennifer Hay there, like maybe, perhaps, Rosemary, okay. Oh, now we're coming, we've got Beth, kind of like Josh, maybe, one finger. Okay, this is like, all right, okay, it looks like we've got a few stories. So let me just repeat it. So you had a physical issue, somebody prayed for you, and immediately, after, while they were praying for you, you were healed. Can you, can you share that story? Okay, now, like, we've got Rod Klinger's adding to it. Rosemary's got a hand the highest. Rosemary, you win the prize because you're the most enthusiastic, the reluctant, the reluctant one. Thank you. The upside is we've got a lot of stories. Uh, so most of you will remember that Rob asked if anybody had issues with shoulders or something like that, would they like prayer? And that's where Jen Hayes and my story came from. Right shoulder, Rob prayed. By the end of service, it was loose. But then I started having other physical problems and ended up with a diagnosis of muscle spasms, frozen shoulder. But as I went through my therapy and my exercises, I have beautiful range of motion <laughs> in this one. But the one that Rob didn't pray for that day, <laughs> it still is having difficulties. And that's why I thought God won me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. So 
I remember that day now. I felt like the Lord had given me an impression on people that had problems with their shoulders. And I said, anybody that has a problem with their shoulder, why don't you stand up, let's pray. And we prayed, and that was Rosemary's testimony. Actually, I like that testimony. The only part I don't like about it is that I was the person that happened to pray for you. And what I'm trying to communicate here today is that we all can pray for people expecting to be healed. The upside of that was you said it was both God physically healed you immediately, plus you also had benefit and healing through medical, you know, doing therapy. So amen to that. We're not saying, you know, ignore uh, thing. Why don't we have the worship team coming up? Now we're going to do a little uh, everybody gets to play exercise. Uh, I'm sure you're super excited. Uh, so this is what I want to do. I'm going to explain it real clearly. So listen up real closely, because I don't want anybody to feel nervous or uncomfortable. What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to ask those of you that want to risk uh, to, that have some physical healing thing, not for somebody that's not here, for you personally, right? If you've got a physical issue, I'm going to ask you in a bit to come and stand in the aisle, not up front, just stand in the aisle. I also want to ask somebody that's feeling really, really stressed, like you're just feeling like you're carrying a load on your shoulder. I want you to stand in the aisle. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to then worship. We're just going to worship. We're going to do this next worship song. And you are going to pray and call out to God for yourself, for God's mercy, for God to heal you. Or if you're carrying a real burden, for God to uh, release that burden. Okay, so it's just you and God as we worship. And then we'll just, I'll ask you how you're feeling after the song. So why don't we do it? Why don't we stand? If you have a physical issue, stand in one of these aisles. And uh, I want you to just pray and call out to God as we worship, right? As we're worshiping, you are going to just call out to God, God, I need your help. I need physical healing or I need you to release a burden. Okay, we are pretty sickly lot. I mean, look at us. <laughs> in other words, we need Jesus. It's a real good thing. All right, so we're just going to worship the Lord in this song. Brian, take it away. <laughs> 